I'm Laura Zach. And I'm Brittany Ashley. And this is Sick or Sadder World, the podcast where we rewatch episodes of Daria and relate it to our current world. Aww. Wow. We finally made it here. We did. And I am flush with gratitude. Same. Like, <laughs> gratitude, sadness, happiness for people to find it and, you know, go through the whole entire series again. Just listen to it again. Without us. Yeah. We'll be there, but it'll be it'll be like the snakes that shed their skin. It'll be former versions of us. Um, forever encapsulated and left dry on the meadow (laughs) to decompose and rot and have flowers then be born from within Um, so (laughs) so anyway it's been a big weekend there was a lunar eclipse and a blood moon a three-hour long eclipse there's a lot astrologically going on letting go of things bringing in the new deciding that you're not going to delay anymore on reaching for what you really want in life and it just feels like a fitting symbolic moment for us to finish this journey there's been a lot of interesting things coalescing upon this moment for one one of our loyal listeners Oh man, this, this is, is this is the summer romance of the century. This is the tastiest tidbit. She was driving in somewhere in the south, correct? Correct. I don't think she's ever said exactly where she lives, but listening to one of our episodes and Mindy Jones' theme song came on and apparently someone else driving nearby recognized the theme song, flagged her like, "Hey, Sickers out of world, I listen too." They pulled over question mark I, like I'm gonna need more information you know who you are obviously yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna need more information about like how that decision was made of like it goes from hey stranger also driving to we need to talk about this but also I get it especially if you live in an area of the country where it would feel even more special and synchronistic to find someone listening to the same small podcast. You know, you got to just explore that connection. And then they went on two dates this weekend. And I don't want to be the the pushy auntie who's like putting pressure on what this is to become. But I just think it's really cool and special that they found that connection regardless of what it becomes. Yeah, I feel very honored that we were the link in between two incredible women. And I can't wait to see what happens. We are not going anywhere in terms of our Twitter account. So we will be, um, with the consent of the parties involved, (laughs) posting updates whenever possible. (laughs) But that feels beautiful. It feels sort of like a parting gift to us just to know that happened but also hopefully to them you know ideally whether it's a friendship or more or less hopefully it's still a positive experience also another big thing progressed in my life which is that I got to finally spend quality time with my roommate's exorcist girlfriend oh my god yes finally at long last and it was really powerful I actually don't feel comfortable going into the full details of everything she said to me but because honestly like she was so specific about what's about to happen in my life that I don't really want to jinx it I guess the point is you can't really jinx it if it's meant to be it'll be but unless you jinx it exactly so I don't I don't necessarily want to put it out there exactly what she said but I did a reversal spell with um candle magic and let's just say what happened with the candle indicated to her some very specific things days or weeks away from me I'll keep my eyes peeled I've already told Brittany what to look for so how are you doing how are you feeling about this end of a literal era for us well are you asking where's my head at 
Uh, yes, in fact, I was asking. I feel good. Like, I, I feel like this last week I've been able to tap into the things that I've put off for a really long time. Like, I think that after I had a very unceremoniously uh, firing, I think that my self-esteem towards my work, towards myself, it really just went and plummeted. And I feel like this week when I really started to like get my confidence again and be like, Oh fuck, I want to like direct the short that I just wrote. And I'm like Hell seeing yeah. it all in my head and I want to like make it happen. I feel like I'm going to start to invest in myself again. And a part of that is limiting my, my full-time job, having that obviously for like financial means, but just investing in myself more and having the same confidence that I used to have when I feel like I, you know, peaked at like 25, <laughs> reminding myself that the best is yet to come in terms of my writing, in terms of my life, in terms of my relationships and friendships. And yeah, this month will be really wild. I'm going home to interview my dad about my mom who passed. Wow. I'm interviewing, you know, people that were in her life. Like, I think it'll be such a I'm going to interview you about your mom. That's true. Your, yeah. Your podcast. Yeah. Everybody tune in in about like a month and a half, two months where Laura will be interviewing me about my uh, my late mother. It's funny because in the last few months, because I have started this other podcast where I interview other people who've lost their mom, I am going backwards in a way, but it's to fix future me and to to give me more insight into like who I am and and be a little bit more compassionate towards myself given trauma and stuff which I've never been able to do I think we've talked about this before but it's sort of like the leveling up concept it's like when you've existed on a certain plane for a long time and in order to get to the next level of like your potential existence in terms of working on yourself and your mental health and feeling fulfilled and doing the work that you're meant to do in the world. Sometimes you have to face down and conquer increasingly difficult emotional nemeses in order to ascend or like get to the next place for yourself. And it Mm -hmm. feels like we both have been doing that in different ways. And sometimes things that can feel like obstacles being thrown in the path are actually signals that you're closer to the goal rather than farther away I am really happy to report this that this feels like a very hopeful moment like all good you know ends of an amazing novel or series finales it's not like a happy ending per se it's not like there's some huge good news that we have to report but there is like a shift a a little bit of pivot of hopefulness that feels like we are going out with with good, motivated, inspired feeling. And hopefully that's what we can impart to you all as well. But I do really feel like this podcast, like the last year and a half, has been an example of something that has required of us a steady effort that has not always been easy, that has maybe synced up with really difficult emotional trials that we've each individually been going through, but through through forcing ourselves to move through it has actually helped us. And part of what that has been has been the community that we've found through doing this. 100%. Yeah. And one other announcement before we get into the episode is we're going to make the butch off the game show for into which is grinders new news and video content website and they are going to have us do a experimental pilot of it and see how it does so spread the word the butch off is coming to live action it's coming to a computer near you so for is it college yet we are actually going to be releasing 
this finale in two parts. So surprise, you thought today was the last day, but dry those tears, little babes, because you have one more week to anticipate abandonment, but it's not really abandonment because we're here for you forever. Yeah, it's like almost, is this worst? We are going to do part one first, where we will be our lucid little selves and then next week, you can come back for the second part where we will have a little fun 420 times and we'll have a button at the end that is us being fully present and lucid and sober for you as well. So yeah, let's get into the first half. Let's get into it. Of an incredible film, Is It College Yet? La 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 la. This is my style. Got to get up, or I might Excuse me. Excuse me. I've got to be direct. talk about the most sick opening credits by Splendora. The song is called College Try. So it is Jane and Daria busting through the doors after graduation and then it's like sequences of all the characters, 1940s garb, and then it's like the 50s, 60s, 70s. Okay, for me the highlights include Jane picking out the hot coal, uh, Trent in a sailor outfit, then instantly in a sweater, carrying a book. Mac and Jody head bopping to disco. Andrea burning her bra. Helen moonwalking. Oh my god, yeah. Helen moonwalking in front of Jake. Trent in an 80s synth band. And then Jane and Daria wearing those shoulder padded blazers. Oh, so, so yes, I do agree that the 80s was like by far my favorite. Also the hairdos in the 80s. Oh my god, so good. For me, it really suggested a little bit of the inevitability of friendship soulmates. Yeah. Maybe not unlike our listeners that met on the highway. I thought you were going to say not unlike us. Also not unlike us, where... (laughs) Your face is so cute. You're just like expression of pure delight. Like, thank you for saying the thing that I was hoping you were going to say, Laura. (laughs) Jane and Daria's connection is inevitable in past lives. Yes. In any possible manifestation of their youth, they would have found each other. No matter what was going on in the world, they would have been righteous and fighting on the right side of history together. I did notice that one couple that only showed up once was Jody and Mac, which is understandably complicated because there's really not, it only gets worse the farther back you get. Not right. saying it's even great today. They were definitely showing the like ideal of white people in America. Totally. White people's experience in America across the decades. It would have looked very different for Mac and Jody, but they, d- they did show up in the 70s. Correct? Yeah, it was them like head bopping to disco, which I was into. Right. And then they show um, Trent like also had some great looks throughout it was really interesting choice because the opening credits were also amazing and is it fall yet but they were specific to the theme of the film which was summer summer, yeah uh this one i guess it is still consistent in the sense of it's talking about your life after after high school like the, the the idea that everything begins when you graduate well it all it also did kind of look like in that era what they'd be doing in college like yes like it was you know like they'd be holed out in a van at like protesting peace uh protesting peace (laughs) protesting for peace you get it yeah (laughs) there was one with kevin showing him like at a frat house like i definitely think it was like if he can even get in but we'll get to that yeah 
they were all supposed to be in college in a way and like around the war like they would probably would be going to college because they'd be going to work you know what I mean like there was I think it was definitely like thematic of if we were in this era this is where we'd be as college-aged people no, I loved it. Splendor is also the band behind Standing on My Neck. So they were like oh, consistently. And, and they did the the song at the beginning of Is It Fall Yet. Correct. So they've been like consistently the band, like the Daria band. God, this makes me want to get pizza. Whenever we're, talking about, whenever we're talking about the pizza place, I swear to God. Oh, you know what we should do? What? For the final, for the final episode. Have pizza? Yeah. Yeah, and that'll two be great because we'll be stoned. It'll <laughs> <laughs> yeah. be freaking delicious. Although the last time when, remember you had that like ice cream pint and you weren't even talking at all. I had to like, I think you edited that one, but I feel like you had to edit out a lot of just like I also had to edit out like chewing. 20 minutes of me coughing. Yeah. <laughs> Mistakes were made. But we'll be better this time. Yeah, we'll be better. You promise. <laughs> so this movie starts with classic Daria and Jane at pizza and they are talking about the colleges that they've applied to and I feel like they did such a good job in this movie uh with college names I feel like oh my they, god I feel like they so went hard. into like a college name generator online and just found the most pretentious sounding like things Bromwell. that would look great on a sweatshirt totally yeah Bromwell Raft Crestmore but I also Turner. think there's like a clear hierarchy of the way that they sound too like raft sounds kind of like middle class and like it sounds like it's not ivy league it's like it's like the but tufts, it's still a good school the tufts to the harvard or the reed to the stanford and jane talks about how she applied to lawndale state and state university because they haven't said which state though the fact that they bring up boston so often does imply that it's somewhere probably on the east coast right not necessarily i thought that I always pictured what well, was this in driving Midwest. distance. Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah. So maybe I could picture it in like Pennsylvania or something. Yeah. Also, Jane is applying to Boston Fine Arts College and talks about how she's working on her portfolio and is already in the self-deprecating mode of not really thinking that she's going to get it. I think in high school, it's like if you don't excel at everything, it kind of like fucks you in a way. However, if you excel in one thing specifically, like fine arts, for instance, you kind of like that's kind of one of your only major options if you haven't also excelled in other areas. Like there's a moment later on where Jane was like, I wish I wouldn't have taken the math portion of the SATs as if like that's Mm -hmm. what that's what ruined her scores. But they at least when I was in high school, they put such an emphasis on being well-rounded, which I think Jody talks about or in the past has talked about like the importance of having the extracurriculars on top of the academic and that the makes sport. Sense. If you're a one-trick pony that way, you really can only bank on going to a specialty school, which I think Jane is hoping will happen for her. Right. Also, Jane and Jaria kind of come up with like a loose plan in a way of, well, Raft and BFAC are both in Boston. We could meet up on the weekends and complain about our lives. And it's kind of like a... It's kind of a cute moment where they picture each other in their lives past high school. I feel like the way they chose to start the film is the way we chose to start this episode, where we were basically like immediately alluding to the other ways we can all still be together in the future. Yes. <laughs> you can you can be with us here and you can be with us here. The butch off is our Boston. <laughs> Meet us there. So then we're at the Morgendorfer's house and Jake, per usual, is freaking out. However, this time it's a credit card bill where Quinn spent $600 on shoes. Quinn's storylines are always some of my favorites. I mean, and is it fall yet? I loved the mentor character and that whole storyline. However, this movie, she has to get a summer job to pay off this credit card bill. Also, $600 is a lot for shoes, even in 2018. And they were on sale. I can't imagine. I mean, in the early aughts, that was the prettiest penny. I've never spent that much money on one piece of clothing ever. I have. What <laughs> was it? Uh, the dress I wore to the Emmys. Whoa. Was about that, but not more. Holy shit. Yeah credit have you ever worn it again 
don't worry about it. <laughs> Girl, rent lay the, off my back. <laughs> rent the runway. You'll save so much money that way. That's where you rent a dress for like less than. This episode is yeah. brought to you by, by rent, rent the, the runway. runway. So there's also this weird thing going on in Daria's household where, you know, her parents' alma mater is Middleton, which is like an okay school, but I think it's definitely more focused on like the partying aspect maybe than the academics. So Jake is like pushing Middleton and Helen is trying to tell Jake like she doesn't really want to go there and something gets in his head that he thinks that she's going to end up going to military school. Like it's just yeah, like it's so like many Middleton miscommunications. Or military in his mind. And I like that they brought Middleton back around because we had seen an entire episode devoted to Helen and Jake's nostalgia around their college experience. And they did bring their daughters to visit the school before. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that they kept that thread going. But you're right. Helen definitely does not at all seem attached to the idea. Whereas Jake has an enthusiasm for Daria to follow in his footsteps. But he wouldn't actually care if she went somewhere else. He's just worried that she's going to follow in the wrong footsteps of his abusive army experience did your parents have any influence on where you went to college or did they go to college somewhere and were like wanting you to go there too they both went to university of new hampshire and they met my mom's first week of freshman year and that college is in a town called durham which is about 10 minute drive from where i grew up and both of my parents grew up within a 15 minute drive of where i grew up so everything had happened in that perimeter within that perimeter no so I yeah they they I think they always knew that I was not interested in sticking around but there was this like community college that like local community college that would be advertised on the radio that my dad would always be like hey if you just go there it'll save us a ton of money and like you know you could just stick close to home like maybe I'll even you know help you get a car if you stay there you know he was trying to leverage they knew that I was always going to be looking outward from what they had done and we're always really supportive of that how about you no my dad went to trade school and I don't think my mom went to college and I I just like can't express enough how how little my my high school emphasized like going to college like I feel like 70% of my graduating class either didn't go to college or stayed there and went to the community college and I feel like not saying I was like one of the few but I was definitely of like a small percentage of people who wanted to go it was a non-negotiable you were like oh I'm definitely doing this Yeah. yeah and I mean like I went to school in Chicago. It was like the only school that I had applied to. I, I went to the University of Illinois, Chicago. And it was also, you know, 45 minutes away from my house, but mm-hmm. enough of a difference. You know what I mean? The city of Chicago yeah. and the town. That and it was same for me. I, I started my undergraduate career in Boston, which was about an hour drive right. from my house. So I, yeah, especially given that I graduated high school the exact year that Jane and Daria graduated high school. We all would have been in Boston together. Oh, my God. I know. If I could do it all over again, I would have went to school in New York. I would have I would have realized that. When, when you had the energy for it. A hundred percent. And also, like, because your life will be built in there and you won't be, like, starting from, you know what I mean? Like, you'll have the structure of college to live in the city of New York. But there's something to be said, too, for going to a smaller place where you get the actual campus experience. That is something to weigh when you're thinking about going to a big city. I feel like Boston is such a college school that it blends both worlds. Like you're in a small city, but you're in a city, um, but you also have like your campus vibe. Yeah, it's a whole other choice to choose to go somewhere where the college itself is the center and kind of the most interesting thing going on. I couldn't have done that. Yeah, I mean, I think the major thing was like that I appreciated about my college was that we didn't have a football team. So it's not like a huge part of being in being a student there was like sports. It wasn't a huge part at all. It was primarily about being in the culture of Chicago and feeling a bit more like your experience matures a little quicker just because you're in this fucking huge ass city and you could 
you don't just have to go to like this one bar like you could literally go anywhere in the city right. and the options are just so vast and yeah I, I wouldn't trade my experience for the world because you know I met some of my best friends had so much fun like it was truly the time of my life but if I could do it all over again I probably would have chosen a little bit further away mm-hmm do you want to talk about the six sad world, which was my favorite yeah, one? Yeah, I actually made note of that as well. The message board miscreant. Yeah. And it just shows how long online trolls have been an issue. Pretty much since the advent of the internet, which was only shortly before this episode came 100%. out. hundred percent. Or this movie came out. What a great invention to have something that will just torch them in their seat. Yeah. And so Tom and Daria, they both are interested in visiting the same school, which is Bromwell. So it's clear that they're like thinking about staying together, most likely. However, Daria also wants to check out Boston, which appears to be somewhat of like a close drive away. But Tom says something about like safety school. And there's something about saying safety school to someone else makes me like cringe. Of course, it's incredibly elitist and fucked up and usually classist. Because as we learn, he has, like, a ton of fucking nepotism when it comes to Bromwell, which is much to Daria Chagrin and her whole morality. Like, it gets thrown off kilter when when she sees this firsthand, really. Mm -hmm. And there might be some level of, like, who knows, some level of, like, misogyny or involved with, like, a straight white dude coming in, having all these, like, connections. I mean, isn't there always? 100%. (laughs) So it's set up, though, that she is going to go visit Bromwell and Raft with Tom and Mrs. Sloan. Um, meanwhile, the Fashion Club is celebrating Stacy's birthday. And Stacy's continuing on her journey of finding her voice, finding her self-confidence, even in the face of someone trying to constantly tear it down, which is Sandy. And Stacy goes to make a wish before she blows out the candle. And Sandy is like... Come on, what did you wish for? Yeah, and when Stacy won't say, Sandy's like, Come on, Stacy, don't be your usual drippy self. And that was and good. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I've mastered it just when it's time to say goodbye. Yeah. And Stacy kind of narrows her eyes and is like, It doesn't matter. It didn't come true anyway. But this scene also shows us that Quinn is thinking about getting a job at this restaurant called Governor's Park. She's like, it wouldn't mess up my nails, which isn't true. Anytime that you're handling strangers' dishes and possibly washing them. And well, she's just being a host, I think. I thought also you, you're bussing things as a host. I don't think at that place. Okay. They probably had back <laughs> okay, servers. And you're it the- looked like fine dining. Yeah. So Mac and Jody are talking about their college futures as well. Mac really wants to go to the school Vance. However, he says that he can't go unless he gets a scholarship but that's where he really wants to go and Jody confines in him that you know she's kind of between two schools right now she's between Turner which is pretty much like a traditionally black college sounds like it's the Howard of this universe right or Crestmore which is like I guess like a Harvard or like a Yale Mm -hmm. and she's stuck in this conundrum of the fact that her dad really wants her to go to Crestmore, even though he went to Turner. She, he really wants her to go to Crestmore because it would look better on a resume. However, Jody gives us this like beautiful sentiment about how she really wants to have a break from being the perfect Jody doll at a mostly white school. And she doesn't want to feel tokenized anymore. Like she's been doing this her whole life. And she wants to just finally fucking blend in. You could also interpret it as her being like, I'm ready for my own show. Like, I've been the token on this very show and had to represent an entire community of people, like, singularly on this entire series. And now I'm ready for to be the fucking lead in my own spinoff. Or just, like, be among others and not have to have that pressure like wanting to relax into just experiencing her college education the way anyone does and not having this extra element that she always has to deal with right and later she also makes the point that 
she doesn't want to be looked at as if like she only got in because she's black or like in a predominantly white school. On the other hand, Brittany and Kevin are talking about their college futures and Brittany applied to State University and Kevin said that where he's going is a secret. I couldn't tell if he knows yet what happened in this no, scene. Not, I, I think he still seems yeah. pretty confident in himself here. Yeah, I think I think in that moment I read it as like, well, I'm just trying to figure out what place wants to take me for football. So it's like a secret. Right, right. Like TBD, babe. Or like he thinks he's going to get like drafted somewhere or something. Right, directly to the NFL. Yeah. So, oh man, Mr. Oh, O'Neill and Miss Barch. Love it. It is D-Day, it turns out. It's the anniversary of her divorce. And she's sharing that with Mr. O'Neill. And he, in his very Timothy way, is trying to have compassion for her. And is saying, you know, I'm so sorry. Like, marriage is a sacred union that's supposed to represent the love and trust between two people. And meanwhile, um, Mr. DiMartino is walking past the room. And his eye bugs out when he's hearing this. And... His interpretation of what's happening is the same as what then we see Miss Barch is thinking is happening. And she interrupts Mr. O'Neill and is like, yes, Timothy, I will marry you. And he's like, oh, 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 I wasn't. uh, uh." Which is also hilarious because she so frequently like one hates men. But two, you'd imagine that she fucking hates the idea of marriage and so she changes her tune so quickly as soon as she thinks that Mr. O'Neill is proposing to her. Right. It really shows how much of her misandry is really self-loathing about the fact that she participates in a- and associates her self-worth with like heteronormative patriarchal institutions. 100%. Like she she hates that she's not radical enough to just like opt out of the system she still like has been socialized to see herself as valuable only to the degree that she has checked off these boxes and so we see what must be such a intense internal struggle for her play out here I think it's it's also something I guess I never really thought of before but I think it's so funny that they made her straight but also really hate men and showing that like struggle of I like hate the patriarchy but I'm also still kind of like going to participate in the ways that the patriarchy but honestly I think that is more common like it is it is such a misconception that queer women and lesbians hate men because I actually feel like we're for the most part pretty chill with men because we don't have, have to. to like we don't have, have to, to so have sex so with them the capacity that we're dealing with them is more like copacetic and it's not as charged or loaded mm. and I mean I, I'm not speaking for all queer women of course and I know there's bisexual women who might have different experiences as well but for the most part women who are romantically and sexually and choose other women and are partnered with women are not like they've already let go of the associating anything to do with their self-worth with men I mean I know it's it's so ingrained in us that it's hard not to like in the workplace of course like it's not like we get to suddenly not experience sexism or the internal effects of that but there is like an opting out that happens for queer women um, by necessity and so that really kind of makes it so that like you can feel pretty chill about men whereas if you are a heterosexual woman who desires men and wants to be partnered with men and therefore has to face like the gender norms and all of these things that politically or instinctually might feel wrong to you but you still like want the person and want those things I don't know it just seems like a minefield that seems like where the anger would come from is from feeling at all dependent on the other sex for something in yourself yeah and and we're and that's why like battle of the sexes 
is a thing when when you hear battle of the sexes and like the whole making the sexes so different from each other like the men are from mars and the women are from venus like that is implying heterosexuality and it's like that quote like the battle of sexes will never be won because there's too much fraternizing with the enemy it's it's like oh i hate that i like need you is really what it is right and it's it yeah it's always in like a heterosexual contest of like can men and women ever truly be friends it's like yeah have you ever spoken to a gay woman (laughs) totally yeah so having that realization really enhanced my compassion for her Mm -hmm. but it does not enhance mr demartino's compassion for the situation and he swoops in like being like a mama mama bear for Mr. O'Neill. Like he wants to, he thinks he needs to protect Mr. O'Neill from what's about to happen to him. Cause Mr. O'Neill just passively goes along with, he does, he does not immediately contradict Miss Barch's interpretation of what just happened. Right. So Daria is going to visit college with Tom and his mother. Tom's mom is wearing an ascot and she talks about how, how, she particularly likes her tea, which pretty much tells you everything about this woman's social class. And so it's Quinn's first job. She's a hostess at a restaurant. She has crimped hair. She's got gold hoops on and she's got her hair up because that is what you have to do when you work at a restaurant. And she meets Lindy, the other host. Really sweet gal. She's a college girl. She's a little bit more veteran in the hostessing world. She's going to show Quinn the ropes. And pretty quickly, Quinn crushes with her new coworkers because she brings the type of humor that people think is intentional, but is really just like comes natural to Quinn. It's like as if these people, these girls that she's working with now are viewing her almost as if they're audience members of Daria. Like they're like, oh my God, Quinn is so unintentionally funny, but they give her the credit of thinking she's being that way on purpose. Right. So they think she's like super witty and smart, which she is. But one thing I really liked about the way Quinn's friendship with Lindy plays out and the people and the parties that Quinn is exposed to through Lindy is we get to really see highlighted Quinn's immaturity and youth. We see the ways that she is younger, but is also still wise. And like we kind of get to see this little window into her potentiality of her future and yeah, how and, she's and going when to grow the, and change. When the structure of high school and the hierarchy of her being in the fashion club is removed, how she will grow and evolve as a person. Yeah, Lindy's roommate is having a party on Saturday, and she invites Quinn. So she's making plans outside of the fashion club and making friends outside of the fashion club, which is a huge step. So then we're at the Landon's house, and Jody wants to tell her dad that, you know, what she discussed with, with Mac before is that she wants to go to Turner and not Crestmore, and she says she wants to relax socially. She wants to just stop being the only black kid, and she just wants to be a kid. And her dad, like, is entirely not listening. He wants to make the choice for her. He he misinterprets what she says. And he's like, ah, the time to relax isn't in college, if that's what you mean. And it's kind of, like, decided for her that she's going to go to Crestmore because Andrew Landon has decided that. Totally. And then we check in with Jane and Trent. And Trent is really pushing back on Jane's decision to apply to art school. And he is bringing up a point that we've, we've heard this articulated before. Like a lot of times anything about selling out artistically comes from Trent's point of view. And he is basically asking like, why do you think you have to go to art school to be an artist? Like he's just a challenge, challenging these assumptions that you need to pay experts money to do the thing that you are already doing. Right. And he's like, like, oh, I wouldn't want to go to music school because I don't want some teacher corrupting my vision. And yeah, Jane's like, no comment. Like this is this is a storyline that plays out across several beats throughout the movie. And this is the beat where Jane is the least convinced and is just like, okay, slacker brother, whatever. Like I'm not trying to become like you. But it, we are seeing a hint that Trent really envisions his own fate as interconnected with Jane's fate. 
and whatever she does in some ways is a reflection for him about what he does and maybe what he should be doing. I think he probably regrets not going to music school or not. Like, I think that despite the fact that he protests that, I think that he realizes that he did not truly pursue what a career would look like in music. He's just kind of he's been phoning it in and also coasting on the fact that he has a free place to live and that his parents aren't pushing him to do anything else and also I think like scared creative people they they have like a limit of how much feedback they want because if they heard that they needed work or that they could fix this or they could fix that they would no longer think that they're a genius because you know it's like not finishing something it's like then you can only see what you've done as like perfect and like well if I did submit it it would probably be great and you wouldn't have to figure out the reality which is that nobody is fucking a genius like it's all about hard work process not perfection yeah and then we get to Ugh, I hate this Bromwell, scene. Me too. Where we see Tom coming out of his interview and he has gone with full, the in, like the admissions counselor. Correct. And he's gone full nepotism. Like he is just in a super organic like old boys club way talking about his uncle and his grandpa and what they what you know buildings what memories had occurred at what buildings on campus and just it seems like the entire interview was essentially tom like weaving tales about his male family members who have already attended and their stories about their time here and tom is effortless in embracing this part of his identity in a way that's so not self-critical or self-aware it's just like yeah this is what i deserve like he is at peak male privilege and darius sees that and obviously is one like pissed off about it she says something about like yeah he's really full of it and the woman that was was sitting at the desk like turns and is like oh Mm -hmm. and it also makes her kind of inarticulate in her interview she's battling herself constantly of should I say what's actually on my mind which probably isn't the best answer or should I just give you the stock answer that you want of like or, or is the stock answer the worst thing? And, like, please just let me find a better answer than, like, the campus is pretty for learning. Her inner monologue in this scene is so relatable. It, the type of thing where when you find yourself overthinking and then you notice that you're thinking and then you realize that in the time you've been thinking, you haven't been talking. And so there are these, like, long, awkward silences where then she comes out with something sort of forced and inarticulate. And But the one thing I liked about the scene is that she saves it at the end by calling out what was just happening for her interior by saying like here's the experience I was just having can we please start over so that I can just answer your questions instead of just laboring over them in my mind and the interviewer likes that she kind of laughs and is like yeah sure thing we are back with Quinn and Quinn is talking to Stacy and Tiffany about all these like fun anecdotes that she had at her job And Sandy enters, and she has no voice. She has laryngitis, and that makes Stacy gasp. I wonder why. Yeah, like, is it connected? Is it connected to the birthday wish? And Quinn says that she has to take a sabbatical from the fashion club. And we see Daria and the Sloanes in the coffee shop um, in the town of Bromwell. Maybe it's called the same thing. And Daria is not happy and like Tom's not being that sensitive to the fact that she had a different interview experience. Yeah. He He's was like, like, your interview was only 15 minutes. Weird. Yeah. There, there was just like a common thread. And that's why I wasn't super bummed about what happened at the end, because it just showed yeah. in these moments how when they're in the same when they're up for the same opportunities and one is at a clear fucking disadvantage to the other person like how little empathy he has for that he is only thinking about his experience and is so blunt in what's pretty much criticisms of her like as if they're on the same playing field like he was born at third base he is mystified that she didn't have 
that same privilege going in. Right. And if she calls out that she's trying to make it over from first base, whereas he's already approaching home, he's sort of like eye roll about it. And like, why do you got to be such a bummer, Daria? Right. You know? Like, this is just how it is. And he's, you know, and he offer wants to offer things and offer the use of his family to help her get to where he is faster. But he's still, that doesn't lead to him at all being critical of the systems that exist like he's just sort of considering how in the past we've seen him be sort of woke in moments in this case he's just sort of like meh shrug like this is how it is it's great that it benefits me it can also benefit people I care about and it's clear that also Daria is ready to get going to Boston so that she can see Raft which I think in her mind she sees as a better fit she's more excited about in some ways and the Sloans are just kind of like they're not dragging their feet, but their priority is not getting, you know, Daria to have that experience at the other school. And they're about to get on the road when an old friend of Tom's dad pops into the coffee shop and recognizes them. And, you know, this is like classic New England prep school or New England Ivy League school dude who is talking about like, the guy he's going to meet who has a MacArthur grant and like making all of these really on the nose, highbrow jokes. And he insists that they meet him for breakfast the next morning and basically implies like, I might be able to exert some influence to help your application. And then Tom's like, Oh yeah, that'd be great. And like, Oh yeah, Daria's applying too. And so then they were supposed to get on the road that day, but instead they're going to have to stay another night and delay the trip to Boston. Then there's terrible traffic. Then there's a storm and because no one else had prioritized Daria getting to have her experience and have her interview at Raft, like it's not even just Daria seeing the school, it's her being able to have an interview at Raft. Yeah. So these are big stakes and the Sloans are not treating it as important and it's really infuriating and she never actually specifically addresses this with Tom, the whole movie. Like things come out in a different way as we'll see, but I was really pissed for her on her totally. behalf. Especially when Tom was like, good thing we didn't get to Bromwell this late, huh? This oh. campus is dead. God. Yeah. We see Mr. O'Neill and Miss Barch sitting on some seat pillows, maybe at a hookah lounge. Maybe it's how he decorates his living room. I'm not sure. But you can tell that he's trying tentatively to bring up the engagement and suggest that maybe they're moving too fast. And Miss Miss Barch, per usual, is just like plowing past anything he's saying and talking about their honeymoon and talking about details of their wedding and is just not hearing him at all. No, she's like, you'll live at my house. I don't like all the macrame in your apartment. So you're moving in, skinny. <laughs> Daria gets home from the not so great trip and she she's starting to to take it out on other people who she feels like aren't really listening. Like Helen mentioned something about college and Dari's like, Oh, so you don't care either that I didn't get to see raft and stomps upstairs. Meanwhile at Lindy's party, um, all these college people are making Quinn feel kind of like dumb in a way. And she feels like she does have to impress them and be someone that she isn't. And then there's this really great moment where she makes fun of someone's outfit and Lindy's like, oh, are you like trashing her? Because you're not someone who trashes other people, right? Or like, you don't build yourself up by tearing other people down, right? Because I hate people like that. And the way Quinn says, yeah, me too, is so sincere. Because yeah. like, we've always seen that there is this part of her that's not mean-spirited that doesn't like the way that Sandy is and has just conformed to, to be more like a Sandy type person because she thinks she has to to be popular. But I, it was a little bit of an aha moment for her. Mm -hmm. Like you're sort of like, you're right. I don't like those people either. And realizing that she has been that person. And then Lindy makes this really nice gesture of like, I'll make you a mirror. <laughs> I wow. think it's so sweet. Do you want me to make you a mirror? Will you? Sure, I'll figure it out. Oh. I just, I, I wasn't expecting you to care so much about the mirror. Well, yeah, because in all her other female friendships, it's never felt like actual compassion for the others. It always felt like this just facade of friendship. It's like we hang around each other all the time, but 
never have really done anything nice for each other with the exception of Stacy. But I think Stacy in the beginning, the way that like her love for Quinn was expressed was like more of like a, I want to be you kind of like obsession. It never, never really felt like what an actual friendship could be like. And so Lindy offering to make something for Quinn just out of like the kindness of wanting to grow their friendship was something that was really nice to see because they it shows that they like want to be friends with Quinn not just for like some social clout Mm -hmm. I thought it was really sweet yeah it was the final little storyline that we're going to talk about before we bid adieu to this first First half half is the fact that Jane did not get into State University or Lawndale State and BFAC is waiting for her portfolio that she's been putting off and she kind of like decides in this moment with Trent that she doesn't want to go to college. Trent says something to her about if they could create art they wouldn't be teaching it and Jane is kind of like you know what you're right like maybe I don't want to go to college maybe I can just continue doing what I'm doing and not have some teacher influence you know my creative vision and we also get the hint that this probably isn't really what Jane wants but I think she feels a little helpless in this moment thank you for listening to the first half of our discussion of is it college yet Stay tuned for next week where we will be bidding our sweet adieu to this podcast, to this incredible show, to all of our wonderful fans. We will finish up Is It College Yet? the second half and then have our final goodbyes. So if you are expecting to say goodbye to us today, psych! Whoa! Whoa. Oh my god, we just mind melded so hard. Neither of us knew the other one was going to say psych. I don't even know if I've ever heard you say psych. This may have been the first time. (laughs) So many firsts for my (laughs) lingual experience on this podcast. So yeah, so next week will be the final episode. But in the meantime, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at SickerSatter. If you want to check out our website, SickerSatterWorld.com. I mean, at this point, if you just want to take a stroll on over to Patreon and say hello. But also, an exciting development is we have decided to create commemorative t-shirts for you all. We're bemoaning our lack of wearable merch, and so we are going to make one t-shirt and have it available for sale. For our Patreon supporters, there will be a small discount. So if you would like to have a little discount on that shirt and you're not already supporting us on patreon you can head over there you know just put in a month's worth of support and then you get that discount and we got a really great response on twitter about people saying they would like a shirt when we offered it as an option so we will be posting about that soon on twitter about where to buy it perfect 